0: Hello, and welcome to The Promise of Discovery, a podcast where members and investigators at the Vanderbilt Kennedy Center talk about their research in intellectual and developmental disabilities.
1: Hello, and thank you for joining us. My name is Alexandra Dafont and I am a faculty member in the department of special ed at Vanderbilt University. Specifically, I am um, part of the faculty in the severe disabilities program. I'm also a member of the Vanderbilt Kennedy Center. I have been with the department now for 14 years, and today I would like to introduce um, my friend and colleague, Miriam um, Bosch, who is joining me today to talk a little bit about our
0: research. Yeah, thank you, you know, Alex, for letting me join you. So, um, Really happy to be here to discuss our research projects. You know, and for the uh, listeners, you know, as Alex had mentioned, my name is Miriam Bosch and I'm a faculty member within the uh, Department of Educational Psychology at the uh, University of North Texas. I've been at UNT for the last about 11 years or so.
1: Well, I think that um, we got to start somewhere. So why don't we actually start um, to talk a little bit about um how we began to collaborate and where did our research start? Um, Do you want to get us started, and then maybe I'll
0: jump in and kind of talk a little bit more? Yeah, sure. So I, you know, I'll start talking about how we first, you know, met at Purdue University, since we are both graduates from there. You know, we were working on our uh, grad degrees in uh, augmentative and alternative communication, and so I, re- uh, one of the first things I remember is, uh, you know. Being introduced by our advisor, Dr. Lloyd, you know, he really thought that we had a shared interest in, you know, and just our, our background and, you know, and just overall research interests. Do you remember that day? Um, so one of the things that
1: I do remember when Dr. Lloyd introduced us, it was actually the fact not only that we had common interests, but his approach in making sure that we were collaborating and we were considering interdisciplinary practices while at the same time learning in our courses about AAC and how important that focus was um, for to better support kids with complex communication needs
0: yeah you know I'm really happy that he's you know get a, uh, ended up uh, starting us early about you know collaborating within our program because it really was a great experience and it really uh, pushed us to uh, continue that collaboration you know, from the get-go and, you know, obviously we're still collaborating now. So, um, so it's been a wonderful, yeah. So I think one thing that we need to
1: do, Miriam, before we start talking about our focus of really where we are with um, our research, I think we need to define what AAC is and um, maybe what students with complex communication needs are.
0: Yeah, sure. So, you know, the acronym AAC stands for Augmentative and Alternative Communication, so, for instance, for those individuals that you know simply can't communicate through you know regular spoken language, you know AAC really serves as an alternative way of communicating. So, for instance, you know if um, again if they're if the individual can't use their speech in a functional manner to where other people can't understand you know what they're saying then they could certainly use like a speech and generating device uh, to uh, communicate a communication book, communication boards, you know, all of these, uh, you know, um, system for modalities are, you know, part of uh, what we consider AAC. And then on the uh, other side, it's not just about augmenting, but also supplementing. So for those individuals that have some, you know, uh, spoken language or written language, you know, then, um, you know, they... Could you know supplement? You know, AC could supplement their speech. So you know, we're start trying to think about you know who may you know these people be who um, who have complex communication needs. It could be individuals with autism, for those that have cerebral palsy. Um, you know, potentially you know someone who may have a uh, you know a, a traumatic brain injury that impacts Dr.
1: syndrome. Yeah,
0: uh, yeah, you know that impacted their communication. And so for these individuals uh, who have, again, you know, some speech, the AAC could help in, you know, further supplementing their their speech or written language.
1: When we're talking about individuals who who have complex communication needs, one of the things that we really focus on is those individuals who have some type of other disability And as part of their disability, they present some type of um, communication disorder or communication challenges, that those are the individuals who would definitely benefit from AAC. And kind of to summarize what Miriam was talking about, so when we talk about AAC, we're talking about any specific, any various of the strategies or supports that we can identify to make sure that um, to decrease the barriers that those individuals may be facing um, in regards to their communication abilities so um, so they can be able to more independently and functionally communicate with um, any of their communication partners. So kind of to talk a little bit now about why we started conducting um, this research. So one of the big things that, um, you know, as, Miriam said earlier. Dr. Lloyd said that we had shared interests, and I think one of the biggest shared interests that Miriam and I have is the fact that um, we do teacher training and we um, we prepare future educators. And as prepare future, um, as part of that, one of the biggest tasks that we had in in our jobs now was to prepare future teachers who are going to go into the field. And one of the things that we wanted to look at is what was out there to better prepare our courses, to make sure that our students were actually leaving with the skills and knowledge that they needed to successfully implement AAC practices in the school setting and to ensure that individuals with with any of these disabilities that Miriam just talked about um, had the opportunity to be able to functionally enhance their communication abilities. So one of the things that we um, started off is that we decided to do a, um, a systematic literature review to see what was out there, what was um, what research was telling us and what were some evidence-based practices in regards the content needed for these in, um, to train individuals and also what were the best approaches to train individuals um, or future teachers to support individuals with complex communication need. Unfortunately, what we found in that systematic literature review is that, um, first, there was not a lot of evidence out there. Um, there was limited research in that area. And the other part is that the most updated um, evidence was about 10 years old, and there was a lot of gaps in between those evidence. It was not that it was a continuous um, um, topic that people have been looking at. It was There's more gaps into that focus. One of the biggest thing is that um, the focus was on speech language pathologists, which it makes sense as they usually lead the AAC teams. However, um, there was limited research on what special education teachers should know and how much they actually should be involved in this. Yet we know that um, preparation standards do highlight the fact that in special education teachers should have knowledge and skills in an um, and of an alternative communication.
0: Yeah, and, you know, if you recall, you know, uh, after we ended up doing, you know, that uh, systematic literature review, we started discussing, well, you know, uh, there's really not much out there, you know, and it's old, you know, and it's all focusing on speech language pathologists. So why don't, you know, we conduct our own national survey, you know, and one of the things that we also discussed, you know, uh, back then was you know, about going in and trying to update the Colin Lloyd um, review or not the review, but the survey, you know, they had conducted one back, you know, uh, over 25 years ago and that, you know, that survey was really a seminal piece that outlined, you know, training for AAC, you know, within, you know, some special education teachers and then, but primarily within uh, service related service providers like occupational therapists and speech language pathologists, And so we really wanted to replicate it, but replicate it with only focusing on the uh, special education, you know, side of things. So, you know, um, and one of the things that, you know, you recall that we also wanted to do as part of doing the survey, you know, and the reason why we wanted to do a replication is that you and I, you know, during our, you know, the time that we've been teaching the last, you know, uh, 10, 15 years is that our our students, you know, who are being trained to become special education teachers, they're not really getting the uh, skill set that they need to really, you know, um, you know, advocate and serve the um, the population, especially the specific population that they're working in. For instance, those uh, students that have complex communication needs, and so they really need that AC training. And in order for them to support their students, you know, uh, this is where that training is uh, is really important. So why don't we focus a little bit more about how we conducted the survey. Do you wanna get it started? Yeah, um, so we conducted
1: a multi-tier, um, multi-year effort uh, to try to put a survey together. We thought this was gonna be a much faster paced Um, project, but it was actually uh, multiple years to actually get to. Oh, yes. Many years. (laughs) So one of the biggest thing was uh, to try to identify special ed teachers across the U.S. That was a really big challenge Um, when we started looking at. Um, each specific state we had multiple students um, helping us with this project and we had um, students search everywhere to try to find special education teachers emails so we could actually potentially send the, um, the, the survey. What we found is most of um, special education teachers are not their information are not publicly available. So what we found though in in this process was actually principals and school administrators like uh, superintendents. Emails, addresses. And that was as far as we could actually go in besides literally going to each school and try to find each special ed teacher within the school's website. So yeah. we went to um, we went through the route of getting the um, using this, uh, the school administrators and principals um, emails. So what we did is that we created the survey. Um, One of the biggest things that we really wanted to collect information was on the teacher's background. Specifically, we wanted to look at um, what type of degree they had, what type of teaching license they had and how many years of teaching experience they had and how many of those years of teaching experience was actually working with students with complex communication needs. The other part that was really essential to identifying here is what did teachers self-report having knowledge and skills in and our survey asked really specific questions about do you feel comfortable in um in for example um, implementing ac practices conducting an assessment so we really took it to um, a level that the teachers could self-report their knowledge and skills in these areas one of the biggest questions that we also felt that um, it was important it was to ask if they had any Um, teacher, uh, if they had any courses during their teacher preparation program, or was this content that they felt that they had um, obtained through professional development experiences? And um, when we ask the teacher preparation questions, we also ask the number of courses, and we also ask the question about if they even had a practicum or any type of field experiences during that time. And so these all these questions were really important to kind of try to put the puzzle um, all together and try to identify if they uh, what they self-reported of having knowledge and skills in, how they obtained the, the knowledge and skills, and to what extent those um, knowledge and skills were based on some of their background
0: experiences. Yeah, so I, I agree. I mean, you know, we were very um, intentional in the questions that we asked. And so, you know, just, I want to, you know, kind of shift now a little bit about, you know, the findings. So what did we learn from from the survey that we conducted? So we ended up receiving a good number of responses. I was uh, pleasantly surprised. We received over 2000 responses from special education teachers. And, you know, the interesting thing was that, you know, once we started looking at the data, we uh, we were just overwhelmed at the number of uh, of special education teachers who just self-reported that they simply did not have the uh, knowledge and skills they needed for AAC. Specifically, there was 75%, you know, to be exact, of the respondents um, indicated that. And so that was To a certain extent, you know, surprising. But on the other hand, I mean, we, you know, we knew from our own personal experiences working with teachers is that they weren't getting, you know, the AC content that they needed. And so, uh, yeah, so when we started looking at it, we're like 75%, wow, that's like a really high percentage who are, you know, simply aren't getting that, you know, that skill set. and so when we started looking even further into the data, one of the things that, you know, we noticed w- was that the uh, special education teachers who reported that they had completed two or more field experiences, you know, uh, those people were reporting that they did have higher levels of knowledge and skills. Also, the, um, you know, the individuals who were reporting having attended some professional development you know, they also reported self, um, or they also reported having uh, higher knowledge and skills. And so, you know, that was really interesting that those two things, you know, really kind of set the, you know, set them apart from the other individuals. Um, Yeah, so I wanted to mention that one of the things that even though they were reporting higher levels of knowledge and skills, one of the biggest, you know, things that I want to emphasize is that, they were still falling within the uh, group of that 75 percent and so even though you know if we have one group you know the 75 percent that had low level of knowledge and skills if we looked at just the, that group they you know there was a few that reported higher levels of knowledge and skills within you know the uh, low skill set essentially and so um and so when we looked at the demographics, the individuals that just fared a little bit better than the others was those that had uh, completed two or more field experiences that I mentioned or had attended that professional development. Um The other thing that i I want to mention is that you know on the um you know on the flip side, there was no major differences when we looked at the degree. So for instance, you know, we compared those who had, you know, received a bachelor's or a master's degree. And we found that, you know, uh, there were some, uh, you know, some differences, you know, but, you know, the uh, differences were specific to the type of uh, licensure, you know, or program type that they had completed. So for instance, you know, for those that had reported completing a degree or licensure, in low incidence disabilities, or those that had completed a um, you know a, a background or a degree in communication disorders, those two groups self-reported a higher level of knowledge and skills in AAC. While on the other side, those that had high incidence. Uh, disability licensures uh, they had lower levels of knowledge and skills
1: or early childhood because early childhood also yeah that's that's
0: true or early childhood yeah so I think one of
1: the biggest things here is that um you know when when Miriam and I were looking at this data the other part that we really want to look at is a we were surprised of some of the findings. I guess we were not surprised of the number of people with no, lack of knowledge and skills. I think that we were a little surprised of um, such a distinction in differences between the licensure type. So we wanted to check to see if that was true the case for our respective states. So we kind of looked at the data and separated the data to look at specifically what's happening in Tennessee and what was happening in Texas. So when we were looking at those um uh, that specific data set um we found that the big, the biggest takeaway is that the data simulate 100% the national um the national response so there was really no unique differences um between the um the data from the the whole overall national versus the two state what is interesting about this is that um, Texas being a categorical, a multi-categorical license, so all people get licensed in Texas as special ed. Period. There's not a distinction between low and high incidence versus Tennessee differently. Tennessee does have those categories of differences in license. So even though that our our respective states simulated what the overarching um national data was looking at. Um, our states are different in how they manage our licensure, and so that uh, to me that was very interesting in how um, I would advocate one hundred percent for the categorical license, as that really had a big impact. And those are most likely the teachers who will be serving the students with complex communication needs. Um, so the other part here that we um, we want to look at is. Um, Really, the the main reason why did we actually even go and do all this? Well, we know for a fact that special education teachers are the ones who spend most of the time with kids in in the school setting. You know, um, the other related service providers provide services, direct or interact, and they come to a certain amount of um, of the portion of the kids' day. Versus special ed teachers are there all day, every day with with the child. So we wanted to make sure that. Um, to really get a better understanding are they, do they have the knowledge and skills and do they not only can provide the better services, but also be able to have the skills to collaborate. So one of the big things that it is promising out of all this data that we found is I think that the fact that if teacher preparation programs put more field experiences and provide field experiences where in settings where they will be able to the students will have some exposure, or have some activities, or implementation oper- um, supports to work with individuals with complex communication needs. They may gain some of that knowledge, so um, it may be some of those skills. So, I guess the other part is um, going off of what you were saying about the practicum and professional development. So that really just tells me both setting preparation programs and in-service provision of prof- uh, professional development is essential to build these knowledge and skills for for special ed teachers.
0: Right. Yeah, I really want to, uh, you know, I think it's important for us to take an opportunity to, you know, do a call out, you know, for a special, edu- a special education teacher preparation programs or just in general teacher preparation programs. You know, it's important that they really embed AC courses or field experiences, you know, in their programs, because uh, this will really help, you know, special education teachers as they enter the field. And then once they enter the field, you know, um, it's really important for the school districts to continue some of that uh, specialized AC training, you know, uh, for the for their teachers. Um, You know, if uh, if you have. the teachers who are going into the school districts not having that professional training in AAC or that you know um, uh, university-based you know training in AAC, then the school districts really need to kind of step up their game and provide that specialized uh, training. But the it's not just about the special education teachers. I mean, we have speech language pathologists who are working, you know, with the uh, you know with the teachers collaborating, providing supports to uh, to students with complex communication needs. So if they do have you know additional training or just you know more training in AAC. It's important that they collaborate and support their special education teachers and and provide some of that uh, training if possible to to the teachers. And then the other thing that I want to highlight, you know, is for the families. So families of children with complex communication needs, you know, um, I think it's really, really critical for them to advocate for their child so that they may receive the appropriate AC services and support. Because if they're not receiving the support that they need, then they're not going to be receiving, you know, any additional training opportunities or anything like that. So the more that, families can uh can can help advocate for their child, you know, I think that it'll really help in um in having those schools kind of pay more attention to well, what type of training are we providing the teachers that are supporting these uh these individuals. And so um so in a nutshell, what I'm saying is that advocacy is important, not just from, from the standpoint of the families, but also from you know the, the teachers, the SLPs, you know, the school administrators, everybody needs to be um, advocating for additional AAC training.
1: Yeah, um, I'm with you on that. I think that one of the biggest things here is that um, we have to change. There, there's something that has to change um, because we need to make sure that this the individual with complex communication need builds the skills that they need and to me um you know obviously we're both a little biased here but in the we need to make sure that individuals are getting what they need in order for them to be independent we want independent communicators and um the only way we're going to get to have independent communicators is really to become strong advocates in in regards how we need to better prepare future teachers How do we need to better prepare future um, speech language pathologists, occupational therapists, and also for parents to really emphasize the importance for them to have a true evaluation of what their child needs and what their supports are, you know, because you mentioned the call up for families. I, you know, I do want families to advocate for their child, for what their child actually needs. But at the same time, we want to make sure that the process is accurate and that the child will be provided with the best system possible. And the only way we're going to guarantee that is really to have professionals who are knowledgeable and have the skills needed to be able to serve students the way they need to. Right. So I think for now, um, I guess next steps, um, we still have some data to analyze um, from this survey. Um, We're also kind of trying to determine um, what our next steps are in regards to how to better support um, and make recommendations for teacher preparation programs based on what the data that we have. Um, also make recommendations to school districts. As um, Miriam said, you know, only by having those professional development training can teachers be able to gain those skills. And also having, um, I'm going to throw out there also for special education teachers to be okay to say, I don't know, and I need some more training in this particular area. So I think that um, we hope to outline some recommendations for all those and obviously definitely for um, families, we need to better right, do yes. a, a job to recommend for families what they actually need to do. Cause at the end it is about the child and we want them, them to be successful. So um, anything else, Miriam, that you want to
0: talk about? Uh, no, other than, you know, we really appreciate, you know, um, the listeners, you know, uh you know, time and if there's any families out there that are, you know, interested in seeing, you know, some of the uh, work that we're, we've been doing or, you know, uh, special education teachers who are curious about AC, You know, we have a number of publications out there that are both practitioner friendly and, you know, uh, more research focused on the other flip side. But... So, well, thank you, Maryam, for joining me today. I
1: really... <laughs> I, as you know, I, I love talking um, about this topic, and I really appreciate you um being willing to join me on this podcast today.
0: Well, thank you. I appreciate the invitation. I, I think uh, that we just need to continue uh, discussing anytime we can about the research, you know, and how to best advocate for, uh, you know, for services for students with complex communication needs. But thank you. Thank you for listening to The Promise of Discovery. Be sure to visit the Vanderbilt Kennedy Center website at vkc.vumc.org to learn more about today's episode. And tune in next time for more on the innovative research and intellectual and developmental disabilities from the Vanderbilt Kennedy Center.